No, you're good. Thanks. I'm going to keep this mic away from my mic just in case. No. Yep. Mike, you have the honors. <laughs> Is this on? Testing, testing? Yep. I heard. I do now. <laughs> Proves the button's on top. All right, there's a collection of them. Okay. Question number one. Satan is referred to a dragon in Revelation. Was it appropriate to have a dragon on the lanyard with a Bible verse for VBS? I never even gave that a, uh, yeah, the spark. Sparky was a character in the a puppet character in the presentation. I, n I never even give that a thought as far as uh, making a biblical revelation connection with a dragon to Sparky. So I'm at a distinct disadvantage. I'm going to say, was it appropriate? I didn't make the connection, no. but maybe I should have, but I didn't. Well, he's referred to as a snake. He's also a shining light, um, an angel. Well, an angel, he can come as an angel of light. So if you are, I mean, you have to get rid of everything yeah. that is described then. And also, I would, I would argue no. Um, and the only reason why is because Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. Um, and so it's meant to, all because something is portrayed doesn't necessarily mean that it is literal um, like the devil is a dragon, and because of that, it's more of it's looking at it literarily. Yeah, I don't think that there's any issue with it personally. I don't find any issues with it. I mean, I, I mean, I see that perspective now in the mind of a child or a, a young person. I really doubt Maybe a child. Not. <laughs> I don't think that the child would have even I, considered I it. I didn't make that connection because I think too. I mean, when you look at words and when you look at, let's say, okay, this dragon. I mean, we we kind of. We associate it with a particular dragon, too, um, versus other dragons. So I, in my mind, I don't think that there's really an issue there personally. I don't think that, there's, that it's not okay. But that's me. Yeah. Uh, from, from various sources. Yeah. I mean, if let's say if if let's say the the Sparky was named Satan, <laughs> and then or, or something Lucifer. like or Lucifer, I would have issues with that. Um, but I don't. I don't personally. I, again, the the liter the literature is meant to be understood as apocalyptic. It's very. It's poetry. It's meant to convey a, a deeper truth. Um, and so it. 
I don't have an issue with it personally. I don't. Well, invite any other discussions or other opinions. Whoever presented the question maybe has a different opinion. Yeah. So you're invited to reply, respond. Okay. Your turn. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks. This is a good one, Mike. You ready? <laughs> in the light of current events and upheavals, is it possible that we are in the beginning of the tribulation? Yes. But every believer since Christ was crucified had that same promise, had that same expectation that tribulation, Christ's second coming could happen at any moment at any time so they were look they had the promise of looking forward to Christ coming back at any time the events that are around us today um, I'm going to maybe get in trouble for this but there is nothing new under the sun Ecclesiastes tells us we have had we in the context of a nation, in the context of the world and the world system, there has been, and I don't want to diminish what we're going through, but Christ promised that we will have tribulation. So now the question is defining this tribulation, I'll say small t, lowercase t, compared to the great tribulation, capital T or uppercase t, uh, I'm going to say that these events coincide with other world events in history that continues to remind us Christ could come at any moment, at any time. I'm not, I'm not inclined to believe that the events that we're experiencing right now are an indicator of it's closer than before, other than... We are now a second closer than we were a second ago. As far as Christ's return and the events of the tribulation. By yeah, the way, I'm, I'm, I, I put myself in the camp of a... Uh, now we also have to probably have a pre-tribulation, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pre-millennialists versus yeah. So without getting, millennialists or post-millennialists. See, or, we, we could Literarily. <laughs> Apocalyptic literature. Um, yeah, I mean, it, possible. It's possible that that's the case. I don't know for sure. Um, I mean, Christ was very specific in Matthew when he said that not even I know the time or the day. Um, only the Father knows when his return is. The truth is, is that, like Mike said, nothing new under the sun. The, the world has experienced these tribulations over and over and over again. This is a fallen world. Um, I mean, you figure the Black Death took 75% of Europe. Anyone could have assumed that was the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot worse going on in the world. I mean, it seems like it's really bad now for us because, to be honest, in America for the last, since the 60s, we, we've really had a, a lot of prosperity in the U.S., We've had a lot of, generally, yeah, we've had disagreements, but overall, it's been fine. 
Um, now our own political understanding is becoming unstable, so it seems like, it feels like, oh, it's a lot worse. But if you were to go to Africa, if you were to go to a third world country, they're in this every day, and they're in much worse every day. Um, so I, I think it's really, it can be, we can often associate um, our own concerns and our own culture with, let's say, further or more tribulation. Now, you could say, okay, well, the world as a whole hasn't quite experienced, but World War One, World War Two. I mean, you had people at the Somme dying, what, 60,000 men a, a minute or something like that? It's crazy. Um, so, I, yeah, again, I would lean toward it's possible, but I don't look for those things. Uh, Christ says that when he comes back, it's going to happen. You're going to know it's going to happen. We're just we're, we're supposed to be expecting it, no matter what. And I'll add that as believers, I'm convinced that we as a worldwide fellowship and as a worldwide population... We need these reminders that to remind us we need to be ready and that as chaotic and as messed up as things appear, God is still in control. And also I'm reminded of Second Peter. Uh, Peter's letter to believers who were under severe tribulation, persecution, trouble, tribulation, lowercase t. Count it all joy. (laughs) Okay? Tribulation is not a fun thing. But as believers, one of the things I think that we, as a church, and I know at times, I'll say, I'll include, well, I, obviously I'm including that. One of the things I think we need maybe even more Bible study on, or more, as believers, we learn to, need to learn to suffer well, if that makes sense. And nobody likes to suffer, but, but I think that's maybe something that we could all at least contemplate that because uh, nobody wants to count tribulation as joy, but we're instructed to. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Paul in in Second Corinthians, you know, they went through facing wild animals in Colosseums, oh, yeah. and he says they wished for death. I mean, it's the darkest you're going to see Paul as a depressed person. <laughs> um, is when he's saying we longed for death. Um, However, his, his ultimate conclusion of that experience was it caused us to rely on God. So whatever tribulation we may be experiencing in our society, the, the purpose is to remind us that God is the one who is in control, like Mike is saying. So now, again, I, I don't want to get too off topic because this is a particular question about the beginning of the tribulation, yeah, I think, capital cap- T. Capital T. So I, I think our answer is possible. <laughs> it's possible. Assuming that that's even... That kind of a capital T tribulation is the correct view, <laughs> even, and that's what we. <laughs> well, actually, scripture refers, yeah. you know, tribulation, tribulation, or grape tribulation. tribulation. Yeah. So I don't know. Is there any other questions, comments, discussion, follow up on that? If you get into the whole mid trib or pre trib, mid trib, post trib thing, we'll be here a long time.
many, many weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention, again, the millennial and the post-millennial. Oh, yeah. He doesn't really have that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which, yeah. All right. No one ask me to do Revelation, please. <laughs> It'll take forever. We, we, yeah. Yeah, we did that Wednesday night over at the manor. Okay. Question is, with the plagues in Egypt, did adult firstborn die also with the children? What about the animals? As I recall, it's the firstborn sons, so that does not require necessary age. I'm going to disagree. I don't think it's firstborn sons. It just said firstborn because I kind of messed around with this because I don't think that that would imply that Pharaoh would have been a second child or he would have perhaps an older sister because he didn't die. That's entirely possible, though. That, right. point is, with the plagues saying. in Egypt, did adult firstborn die? I'm going to say yes. Pharaoh did not perish in the plague, which would imply that he had an older sibling, which would require that it was either a sister or an older brother that had died ahead of him, ahead of him in order for him to be in a position of Pharaoh. And then what about the animals? I don't know if I ever considered the animals. I have to look. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading it now too. It doesn't specify, at least not in 11 um, animals, but it does specify people. Oh, wait, no, all the firstborn of the cattle. So, yeah. It does yeah, say the yeah. firstborn of the cattle? Firstborn of the cattle, yeah. So, yeah, uh, verse 5. So at least the, yeah, the light. So, uh, and five. so, yeah, firstborn would be... All the firstborn, firstborn. in the land of Egypt shall die, from yeah. the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the millstone, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Yeah. So firstborn, male or female, doesn't matter. Uh, Though I'm going to be hesitant about the male or female. Okay. Only because of Exodus 13, uh, verses 1 and 2, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. I mean, is, I guess you could interpret that to mean of man and beast, implying just the people, people and animals. But I don't remember there being women who were specifically consecrated as firstborn. I mean, it could be. It's entirely possible. That would make sense if they were of the tribe of Levi, but I don't know for sure. Whoa, good question. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a question of a question. <laughs> this is a riddle within a riddle. I'd have to do more research before I came to any conclusion um, when it comes to men and women, but for sure firstborn. Firstborn who were not um, with the Passover lamb, with the blood over the doors, cattle, yep. and humans, they did perish. Yep. And then apparently... Cattle, I don't think, is symbolic of all animals. I would think that would be specific just to cattle. Yeah, like a, otherwise... a domesticated beasts. Yeah. Maybe. Domesticated yeah, yeah, animals. Maybe. So, at least uh, Scripture says cattle were also yes. 
preserved. So one, yeah. So, yes. <laughs> the answer any, is. Any other questions about that one? Uh, uh, and I would say, yeah. I mean, it would be adults who were firstborns. So, sure, the uh, adult yeah, firstborn that were covered by the yeah. uh, by the blood. The, the of the Israelites. Yeah. But, but still. That was, yeah, that was a different plague. Yeah. Save the firstborn. Yes, but if they put the, and it doesn't say this, but if they put the blood on the doorpost of the barn. No, no, well, it would, okay, I would, I would read that or understand that to be leave or understand that. No, that, yeah, the, the blood needed to be over the doorpost of your abode, of your residence, and then that would transfer to your cattle. Or your livestock, or that would be my understanding. Well, I mean, and that's a trick, too. I mean, how many cattle did Israelites own <laughs> in Egypt? Probably not many. Because they were slaves. They were slaves. They probably did not actually have, I don't know, because they could have taken them. The ones that they did have, they probably took after the fact, is my guess. And we don't know how many, let's say, died in the fifth plague. Is it all the animals dying, or is it some? Is it those without shelter? Yeah, but you, you would even then. My I guess my point is is that they didn't have an, that many, like in comparison to let's say Egypt, because they were slaves. They wouldn't have had as many. Like you might find one for every five people versus maybe ten for every person for Egypt, maybe because Egypt was so much more powerful. I don't know. I just don't know enough about what was going on during that time period to know for sure how many would have been because they could have just brought the animal in. Is my point to the house that they were saying, and if they only had so many animals, they wouldn't need necessarily a barn. And there's an assumption that they had a barn. I don't know if they had barns. <laughs> that's, that's, that might be more of a... Back then, they, yeah. they were, the cattle and the sheep were kept in a space to kind of hide them. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, it, it wasn't like, like what we have today where it's out in yon field, I guess. So I'm just not sure 100%. I, I lean a particular way. How about that? Do you have anything else, Mike? But, well, yeah, just to re, restate what Robin said, uh, fifth plague, all of the livestock of the Egyptians perished in that plague, which would mean there was zero other livestock available other than that which belonged to the to the Hebrews. Uh Verse 6 of chapter 9. So the Lord did this thing on the morrow, and all all the lot... Well, I got a little reference note on the word all, so I might have to check this. And all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. And, and that phrase refers to horses, sheep, livestock, um, cattle. But I, I'd have to check what that reference means for inserting that word all in my translation? I don't know. You'd have to look up what that means for sure. Because that could imply types. I'd say... Or it could imply literally everything. I'd have to double check. And in, I'd, in, yeah, and in my translation, that's a note that indicates that there is... 
a reference to, yes. to that word in yeah. his translation and how it appears. Yeah. Um, so, and then you'd have to say then, too, that when they plundered them, there was no animals that they plundered. But if they all died. True. But we also don't know how long each of the plagues lasted. Good we have no long yeah, how it's we have not like it's we, we kind of assume it's like a week, <laughs> but it could be months. This could have taken the Exodus could have taken for all the plagues to happen. It could have taken well, longer than we and, know. And now that you said that, it it more than likely would have occurred over years because when the Exodus occurred, yeah, Pharaoh gave them here. Take this, you know, go yeah. get out of here, cattle, sheep. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. I know how long it took. How long? It was only two hours in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Come> no. <on>. Hours? <laughs> and that's what I thought it was. Th- I pre- that was Hessen. It was three. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he, who is so far the best uh, Moses? <laughs> I will say that. He does it well. But yeah, because when the Egyptian or when the Hebrews left, they were. They were given a lot of supplies by Pharaoh to basically take it, go, get out of here. And that included livestock. So that would imply that there had to be a time period for animals to reproduce. Yeah. So again, be able to give I, yeah. So let's say if let's say let's say it happens year one. Let's say the fifth plague happens year one. The sixth plague or the seventh plague could be two more years down the road, which would then give them time to replenish those cattle. We just don't know, is my point. We don't have any idea how long it would have taken. But that's, that's also all part of, I don't know. This is really getting way off topic, though. <laughs> this, is, this is a rabbit trail Next. if I've ever seen one. But, I mean, the answer to that is yes. So. <laughs> Your turn. I'll pick that in for you. All right. Where do you see the American church in 20 years? That depends. American that, church. That depends on who you ask. Um, I talk to a lot of pastors, and as pastors talk, we see this trend that we are in a post-Christian America. Um, the the views and the values of Christianity are not quite the same as they used to be. I think everyone here is recognizing that a little bit more each day. The trend in rural America is that the churches are slowly dying out. Um, I, it would not shock me in 20 years to see a lot of churches being closed. It would not shock me if the majority of churches were starting to become more home-based, um, kind of like what's happening in China. It would not shock me if of the of the churches that, let's say, congregate in buildings do continue, it'll be the big ones um, in made mainly cities or if you want to travel 40 minutes here or an hour to go to those kinds of churches, if I'm being skeptical. And the only reason why I would say that is because I've talked to a lot of pastors and they all think that's going to be the case um, as time goes on. Could things change? Sure. Absolutely. God can do amazing things. I mean, we're, it's not like all the pastors I talk to are like, this is the end. <laughs> um, it's more like a, if we look at the trends, it looks 
it doesn't look good. The younger generation just, we're not coming out, Dan. We're, we're terrible. <laughs> um, and those who do, I mean, they, they do tend to want to gravitate toward bigger buildings, bigger stuff. Um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. It's just that it causes small town churches to die because then those people are willing to travel. What are some past problems you would like the American church to change moving forward? Oh, evangelism. Um, we, had a, we, had, we had an interesting discussion at VBS um, oh, yeah. where there was one, one grandmother who was adamant, absolutely adamant, that we have an, an altar call. And personally, agitated, agitated, agitated. Uh, she was adamant too. She A- wanted agitated it. Agitated, adamant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was. A, it was a very because for her, the altar call is when someone becomes saved. Nowhere is that in the scripture. Nowhere is it said that if you simply pray a prayer, you're saved. Salvation is a gift from God, where He comes down and He touches you and He changes you. Now, in prayer, is it? Could it be like a first step? Possibly. But the problem I have with, let's say, the altar calls is that you then have a group of children come forward. They pray a prayer, all the same prayer, and then they think they're saved. You want to know what's wrong, why our generation isn't coming out? It's because we all think we're saved. You want to know why we're not coming to church? It's because we think we're okay. Because someone at VBS told us we prayed a prayer. And that's what's been told over and over and over again. I mean, Dan's probably experienced that maybe multiple times. Where Did I pray that prayer? <laughs> I know so many young people who think that, who think, oh, wait, I should pray again, just in case. And it becomes like a ritual that is nowhere in the scriptures, that's not real. And then you wonder why your sons and your daughters and their grandchildren aren't coming out to church. Well, that's because it's bad evangelism. We've, we've made it such an easy process to become a Christian that we don't talk about regeneration. We don't talk about sanctification. We don't talk about the fact that if you are truly changed by God, it leads to repentance, a desire to live for God. Um, And because we've made it just this real quick choice, it means that 90% of the people you go knock on the doors in Westfield are going to be saying that they're Christians. Don't you think that part of that problem is sin is not talked about anymore? True. Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah, when you have that too, and that's uh, yes. No, no, no. Yes and no. (laughs) I mean, because you can talk to a child like, okay, you you stole. That's sin, and like you have to associate it with the scriptures associated with, and then teach them this is what sin is. Um, You don't talk about it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that, like, and that's the thing, too, though, is that simply, ex- like, let's say that a child comes forward and at VBS they're told, okay, and I'm using VBS as the example because we've all, all of my generation's been there. We have. Um, and younger, I guess, now. But let, we get taught, okay, this is what sin is. And then we kind of get told, you don't want to go to hell, do you? 
because of your sin or something like that. You know, like you don't want to be separated from God, do you? God is so loving. God is so kind. Who's going to say no to that at five? <laughs> Who's going to say, I don't want to be separated from God? So then, okay, well then let's pray this prayer. You're good to go. It's popish. It, it, it's, it's Catholic in that, in a Ro- Roman Catholic. I know someone's out there is probably going to be like, don't say that. <laughs> but it, it's basically saying like, okay, you're good to go. And that's it. And that's not true. Um, there's plenty of times when you, where people think that they're saved when they're really not. And it's because bad evangelism, not talking about what sin is. And, and how do we get to that point, right? We get to that point because in the 80s, we had seeker-sensitive. Does anyone remember those days, the seeker-sensitive movement? It was, we want, peop- we want people to come into our churches, so we're going to come up with systems that we don't really talk about sin or the cross or any of these things. What we're going to talk about is, you know, stories. We're going to come out with things like, okay, how, how best to take care of your lawn. We're not going to talk about, th- yeah, that happened in the 80s and 90s. And then it becomes less about, let's say, the, the classic Christian truths and more about how do we get people in the doors? It became a business model. And that's never what the church should have been. So now you've got a generation who thinks, okay, well, I'm saved. I don't go to church. I don't live a lifestyle that's congruent with Jesus. I, I've been told I'm saved by someone. So therefore, I'm good to go. That's, that, really, that's basically pushing them off the cliff into a abyss and not saving them from the abyss. And that's a scary thought. Um, because they're, they're raising kids now. They're raising kids to do the exact same thing if they even care at this point. And they probably don't care because we live in a, in a society where truth doesn't matter. So you're, they're not going to teach their kids anything about Christianity because they're thinking, well, is Christianity even true? I don't know. I, I prayed a prayer once. Uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. No. Well, you can't. Because if you say that there is a true, an absolute truth in regards to morality, then you're going to be told that that's not true because there could be someone somewhere who has a different set of morality than you. And then you're, you're just stuck in this nonstop argumentation that doesn't make sense. And that's what we have in society. I would say, depending on what you mean by altar call. If you mean by altar call, like, come forward and we'll talk, that's one thing. If it's come forward, we're going to pray over you, and then you're going to be good to go, that's, that's, no. <laughs> I'm a no. I'm a no for that. I would, I like, and the reason why I do the gospel is because I think that, A, it relates to every biblical text we've ever gone over <laughs> in some way, and I need to hear it <laughs> every week. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I need to hear it. Um, and it's something that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. So, and I have, you never know. I mean, we could go through the gospel one week and then for that one person who has a heart of stone who's been going to church for 50 years, they hear it again and then that's the time. That's how the gospel works. Um, it's the gospel's power, not my ability to proclaim it or Mike's or any one of ours. It's the gospel, um, the Holy Spirit who does it through the gospel. So. Yeah, the only other thing I take great comfort in too is, yeah, the there is a known decline in small rural churches. Yeah. Um, God will preserve whatever remnant He wants and needs, 
And as far as within the context of God's plans, God will keep this church open. He'll keep any church open. Yeah. That is part of his plan. Yeah. And if it becomes part of God's plan that, I'll just say, for example, Arch, this church, this mm-hmm. fellowship, if it becomes part of his plan that, okay, I got a different plan. Yeah. If we, we do not have that kind of control, and we need to be, well, as Pastor said, we have to, our, our obligations are to present the gospel. Preach the word. And what, what else is there? Our, <laughs> like, the other things are good. They're yeah, nice. Yeah, but that's, but, if you don't have that, then it doesn't but, mean like, anything to rest say, of we, Our obligation as a fellowship is not to have a business model yeah. to fill the... No. And when I, I use the word business model, the gospel is the business model. The Holy Spirit is the business model. No. Faith, and, faithfulness. Fa- faithfulness. That's, that's our business model. That, that, that is <laughs> it's our, us being as faithful as we're well, called. Well said. That, that's our business model, yeah. to be faithful. <laughs> and whatever comes, yeah. you know, as we are faithful and persevere, whatever comes afterwards is um, not in our control. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's God's ministry, not ours. Well, it is ours. We are called to partake. But it's his. He owns it. We don't own this. We're just called to be faithful in what he has given us. Um, And so if he decides all the churches in Westfield are closed, that's judgment on Westfield. That's judgment on rural areas. That's judgment on America, on these rural Americans who have for a long time believed, okay, I'm good with God, yet they've never actually sought God. Does God come to a point when he says enough? Yes. Yes. He did it in the Old Testament with the prophets. Yeah. He didn't he didn't four hundred years <laughs> without a prophet. Yeah, yeah, one of the guys that gives me a lot of comfort is, is Jeremiah. Yeah, well Jeremiah. Like, like, how many converts did Jeremiah have? Like zero. Maybe maybe zero. Well maybe his his scribe. Well, maybe. <laughs> his scribe. Um we are called to be faithful, we are called to be obedient. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. Yeah, and, and to trust where God may lead us. I mean, if God's leading any of our congregations in a way that we were not expecting to just be prepared, he might lead us a different way. He might say, go this direction instead of the direction you've been on. And that's fine. We have to be open to trusting in God to, to, to be the most faithful we can be in our circumstances. Um, and that requires us to know the scriptures. It requires us to seek wisdom. It requires us to trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us and our fellow congregations around us. Um, but that's, it, it's hard. I think everyone sees it and everyone's heartbroken. But yeah. Any other questions or comments about that? We're running out of time. We've got a whole lot of questions here. So it's going to be our call. We can keep going. We'll keep going for a little bit. I gotta do burgers. <laughs> Everyone's thinking, when are the burgers coming? <laughs> oh, this, okay. This there's two questions on this one, but I'm going to read the first. Okay. Were Jesus' disciples married with families? If so, how were they able to travel with them? Who supported their families while they were gone? That 
is actually two questions, but it's only in question number one. I have an answer. Go ahead. Um, yes. Yes, um, they were married. Because Paul, Paul specifically mentions the fact that Peter and the other apostles would bring their wives with them to places. Something else we forget is that a lot of times when Jesus is traveling with his disciples, he's actually traveling in a group of other Galileans because they're always going to Judah or Judea in order for Passover, which means that the Galileans had to all go down to Passover as well. Um, we tend to forget that it's not usually just Jesus' 12 traveling with him. It's actually women, women, children, and like a big group of yeah. caravan people going. Um, and then when you figure, too, for a lot of Jesus' ministry, when he's not traveling down to Judea, to Jerusalem, he's usually just staying in a small quadrant of different cities that are miles apart. Um, we also don't know, like, like Paul, he's very specific. I stayed there for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. We have no idea how long Jesus stayed in each town. He could have been in there for a day. He could have been in there for a week or a month. We don't know. Um, it, it's just not given to us. We just know that his ministry was in Galilee, that he was in the northern part of, of the, the, the Jewish sphere of influence, and then during Passover and other uh, seasons, he would travel south. Okay, second question on this. When Jesus was here on earth, did he have all the attributes of God, or was he limited because of his human form until after his resurrection? Robin? <laughs> Ed? Right. <laughs> did Who he did it? <laughs> the answer is... Yes, he had all the attributes of God. I disagree. Okay. Um, because, again, how, if he was omniscient, he would know when he would be returning. But he says, only the Father knows when I'm returning. Okay, now we're getting into the Trinity issues. Well, no, that's that's an issue with omniscience. Because they're separate and identical. Well, okay. well, you see, you see okay. what I'm saying. So, yeah. I, I personally, my view is yeah. that when Christ came down, He humbled Himself and took on the form of a human with human capacities. True. Yeah, and and point. in doing that, He did not have His full omniscience, His Nor full omnipresence. Uh, omnipresence or uh, omnipotence. Yeah. He did have omnibenevolence. <laughs> he was good. He was always good. True. And, and, uh, and uh, are we talking after resurrection or hold on? This was until after his resurrection. Right. Limited. When Jesus was here on earth. Did he have all the attributes of God or was he limited? However, it does say that he traveled down. So, I mean, it, it's tricky. Did, like, let's say in John. Because in John, in John, we find that where he's all of a sudden, he's at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, he's just there in Jerusalem. And he told them, that, oh, I'm probably not going to travel. But he does travel. And I th it, is he traveling in disguise, for example? Does he go down not wanting anyone to really know because he has a set? He is called to go down on a particular time to really reveal himself the same way. Um, well, no, the, in the way that he is during Passover week, during the, during the Passion Week. And he knows that that is the time when he is supposed to be revealed, possibly. Um, but even then, we also know that he doesn't do anything except what his father wills. And that's, that's how he is able to do anything that he does. Um, father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Um, so I, personally, I would say that he humbled himself in becoming a man. Yeah. He did not have the full abilities 
but he trusted in his father to will and do his father's will. And that could lead to things like walking on water, like being able to control storms, like being able to feed 5,000. He prays to God first. He prays to his father that this is the father's will. Um, so my answer is no. He did not. It does I not change my answer to no as well. <laughs> <laughs> he, I don't. I don't think he did. I did not. I do not think he did. <laughs> um, which is fine. I don't think that that means he was less than yeah, God. I, I it just thought that through. It, it, it's just. It's like God when he's in the temple. You know, when God is in the temple in the holy of holies, he's humbling himself to be there to be that. That is his abode on earth. Does he need that? No. He's God. He could go anywhere. He does go anywhere. He is everywhere. But there's that one place, that centralized location, and I think that that's what you have in the person of Jesus, is that centralized location in human form. Um, And it's a humbling, which shows us we should be humble as well. Because if Christ is able to humble himself, there's no excuse for us, um, because we're not God. (laughs) Um, So for him to humble himself means that we should be humble as well. We're going to need to make a decision. There's a whole lot of questions here. Well, I got way more than three papers in here. Well, because I well, we already did one. Okay, here's one. Well, I was just going to. You say there's only three questions yeah, left. Only three left. Okay, anyway, here's the past problems of the church. Often the Bible talks about killing the fatted calf Often and eating it the same day. Okay, I just picked that up. Often in the Bible, it talks about killing the fatted calf and eating it the same day. Won't it have to hang to drain the blood for a few days? Uh, I'd have to look up the scripture references to know for sure. I've eaten deer, but they're not allowed to eat with blood. Killed the same day. They huh? can't. They can't. They're not. It's. It was unlawful for them to eat um, with any blood. Doesn't in it. all the blood drain out within a few, within fifteen minutes? I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. <Huh? laughs> yeah, they, yeah, and it just kind of gushed out. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think it's certainly possible for the blood to drain out pretty and, quick. And you don't, you don't know. Yeah, and, and, and it's possible, too, that they might have other systems because it's not like they can refrigerate. <laughs> they might need to figure out ways to quickly drain blood. So I, I, my guess is, no, they could probably do it in the How same How long does it take to make a kosher chicken? Five minutes? Or less? To drain the chicken, chicken blood. So it's it's I I would say that it probably could be done in one day. That's my guess. I need to double check, but. All right, we're, we're, are we gonna are we good with trying to get through these? Yeah. Today. That, that one's gonna take longer. You don't you don't know that. Maybe. <laughs> Read Joel chapter two. Okay. Do you believe we are in a time of judgment? When should fasting and weeping occur, prayer, corporately, as a church? Do you believe we are in a time of judgment? Yes, we have been in a time of judgment since the Garden of Eden. <laughs> well said. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I can't. I'm not even going to attempt. That was a good one. <laughs> okay, let me read Joel chapter 2. You already got it? Yeah, want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Two eleven through fourteen, and then also 
15 through 17. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who exalts, executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome, who can endure it. It even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your garments and not, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Um, and 15. 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say amongst the peoples, where is their God? Um, this is tricky. This is tricky in regards to, okay, we are under judgment in a, in a cosmic sense with the fall. Mm-hmm. However, we also learn in John, 1 John, we're no longer under judgment, but under love, grace. And so the tricky part for here is, what, is it possible that the judgments that are falling on a nation are not meant for Christians, but on the nation? Um, and there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a major difference because Christians are called out of the world to be in the world, but we're not part of the world. Um, and so let's say like, would something like this where God is judging his people happen? I don't know. Because if, if Christ has truly come, he's taken that judgment on himself. There's a difference also between chastisement and judgment. Whereas chastising, you slap a person's hand for you know, touching a hot stove. Whereas judgment is you're executing them for uh, treason or something like that. Like a judgment to be called. Um, and so from a technical perspective... The church doesn't need to because the church is in Christ. We have been given grace. We have faith. We have nothing but love with God who, who is not going to judge his people. Well, actually, let me change that. We have already been judged. Well, yeah, we, we've been judged. We, we have already, I mean, no. we are under judgment. And we have been judged and we, have, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, and that's where I think in the prophets in particular you have to wonder because, okay, they were God's chosen people, but they failed miserably every step of the way. After Christ, though, the chosen people are anyone who believes in Christ, Jew or Gentile, Correct. who believes in Christ are, are the chosen people. So I think that what you're saying in America, should America turn toward God? Yes. <laughs> um, should, should any nation turn toward God? Would it lead to a better world? Yes. Yes. Should the nation do that probably should churches because we're scared of judgment no because we don't have anything to be judged for christ took that judgment in my understanding of it i could be wrong on that but it makes sense to me because it's hard to rectify okay god's judgment on us if christ has truly taken that judgment already but like and and I, and like and I would say in this case i would say in this case though should we weep anyway for for any lost Yes. We should weep for our nation because it's lost. Because it's in sin. Because it's broken. You should weep for people like that. Christ weeps for, for those who are broken. We should as well. 
and fasting, I don't, I'm not so sure I know why we as New Testament believers do not fast more, fast more than what we do. Because we if don't, at all. we don't have an, an understanding of spiritual disciplines. <laughs> that's part of the men's. That's part of the men's group thing that we're we're going through. But as far as you know, when should fasting and weeping Segway. occur corporately as a church? I mean, I think that the church. I don't know that there is a a menu or a schedule. <laughs> for, well, I think that, that the that, sp- well the spirit leads. The spirit routine. leads. Yeah. Yeah. The nation. Yeah. No, we should. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. My question is: Yeah. When is it that we're supposed to, as a minister, as a people, be praying corporately for those in need? I mean, when do we get to that point of desperation that yes, we need to be in prayer? Not just for us, but for all humanity. I guess this came to mind as yeah. I read that this morning and was thinking about this virus that it's touched everybody. Mm. And it's not being something that, something you can see other than people dying, but something that's a spiritual thing. And why aren't the churches more doing the fasting, um, the praying? Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's where I mean again, as individuals, are we praying for those with Corona? I mean, I, every night I do with my kids, every night for the last four months. Well, like a a special assembly for the coronavirus, for example. Okay, here's my problem. What's worse? The coronavirus or people going to hell. And so if you're not going to call a solemn assembly for people who are lost, just simply lost, I, I find that problematic because it's, it, is it just we're worried about people's feeling good here? No, but I guess what I'm asking is that mm-hmm. prophecy yes. is saying you need to call for a fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, dying, not dying 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's tricky again because personally I I don't have any issues with, let's say, having a special time of prayer dedication for, let's say, the coronavirus or for anything, really. Um, And I, I, when do, it's tricky too because, let's say, Joel, he's preaching to the, the Jewish people, Israelite people. That's all the Jews. Like, it would be harder for this to happen because it can only be your congregation. What about the ten other congregations? And, like, you can call them, but it doesn't mean they're going to show up. It doesn't mean that they're going to care. Um, and so, I, I, again, I have mixed emotions. I don't really know. I don't really have a good answer because, like Mike said, what, when do we say that? When do we really come to a conclusion, okay, this is something worth that? But then, at the same time, statistically, are there other things, too, like abortion, um, which kills more people than anyone, anything, per day. I mean, has anyone watched One Child Nation by any chance on Amazon? Don't. It's horrific. (laughs) Um, But it's about China and their one-child policy and how they were purposefully aborting children without the mother's consent. They were sterilizing women to make sure that they could not have any more children. Thousands and tens of thousands of women were sterilized in a matter of years. What's worse? Like, and that's the thing. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really know how to answer that question. To be honest, and I don't know either. But again, it's a reminder that, and maybe we get, I'll say, desensitized to this, to to not not just this, mm. but to what I'll say, old news. It's not new news. Yeah. Yeah. Abortion. Yeah. I mean, that's been a deal for, what, 60 years? What, the 70s? 71, 72? Well, anyway. uh, I don't remember. And and you could could add on any other issue that I'm, I'm thinking that it's in our human nature that we tend to forget easy yeah and and yeah god knows that we need to be reminded so not that corona is any worse or less um worthy of a you know of a concerted prayer time fasting we should we should probably be we should be doing this way more than what we do period spiritual disciplines but Spiritual discipline? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, Dan. What do you think? <laughs> I got two in here. What happens to those of the soul who commit suicide? Wait, church project. No, that, that's that, that's that question. question. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> what happens to the souls of those who commit suicide? What happens to the souls of those who commit suicide? Anybody that dies without Jesus Christ as their Savior is doomed to an eternity in hell. Now, those that choose to override God's sovereign will, will they be in the category of being saved to begin with? I'm inclined to say that they're not. If anybody thinks that they're going to 
override God's will? I don't know. And My answer to this is I don't know. Uh, I, uh, because here's my problem. Let's say someone's walking, and this is Martin Luther, I think, who argued this too about this very topic. Let's say someone's walking in the, in the forest and a tree branch falls and kills him. Is that the person's fault? Is that the person's fault? Yeah. For walking no, in the forest. No, that's, that's, in the consider, that's in the category of an accident. Now, let's say someone is so assaulted by the enemy or so assaulted with psychological issues or has something else going on that we just can't see. How is it much different? Is it really their fault? Like, if, let's say, they, they get to that point, I don't know. I'm not going to say yes, but I won't necessarily I, I say no. Di- I get the difficulty. I, I, I'm not going to say yes or no to this, because I'm going to trust that in God's hands in regards to grace. I don't think that Christians should ever do it. I don't think it's ever really an option for Christians, but right. is there grace? I don't know. Like, I mean, I know that the Catholic Church says that, okay, that is the un- unforgivable sin, but they're, according to Jesus, there's only one unforgivable sin, which is... Rejection bla- of Christ. We're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting for us to accuse people of saying that they've rejected Jesus because they've committed suicide. How do we know that? I don't know. I don't know. Like, you could sit there and say that, okay, well, someone would never... Have you really walked in their shoes? Do you really know what they've been through? Do we really know the whole problems that could happen? And I don't know. I, so I won't, I won't really even say and, yes and or that, no. And that also leads to, and I didn't consider this till now, the thought mm-hmm. process. Huh, I'm here on earth. Things stink. They're crummy. I'm if I go, eternity in heaven. Would it not be better for me to? Yeah. I mean, technically, I would think that that would be a... And that's an argument no, that I would say you shouldn't. You shouldn't have that. Do I not understand. put the Lord your God that's, to the test. That's not a good argument, like because that's not the purpose. God gave you a life, and you're supposed to protect it and cherish the fact that yep. you have been given life. Um, but again, darkness exists far more than just on the outside of us. It also exists within us, um, and I don't know. I, I honestly don't have an answer to that one. Um, and and the problem is that the scriptures don't say anything. There is not a single thing about suicide in the scriptures to say yes or no. So I won't go where the scriptures don't go in this particular issue. I, I would say that if anyone has suicidal thoughts, always get help. Always seek help no matter what the situation is. And um, that's not a route that I would say anyone should go, ever. Yeah, I don't have anything more to add yeah. to, to that. Um, but that's our final question. Is, yeah. is there any other comments about this or any of the others? Otherwise, I think we can wrap it arrange up. to wrap up. Don't know. Don't know anything. Okay. Wrap it up. All right. Father, we thank you so much for... Your wisdom, we thank you so much for your scriptures, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through your scripture, through nature, Lord. Um, that we would continue to ask these questions because even if we don't always come to a, a definitive answer, we know that you, Lord, have the answers. And, Lord, we always rely on your grace. We always rely on your mercy in order to guide us in this life for our, our inabilities, for our finiteness. And Lord, that's why we rejoice, because you are a God who is great, who is mighty, who has all the answers. 
um, and has given us grace and mercy in our weakness. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to remind us to be humble, that we would be a humble people before you, and that we would simply seek to do your will as your son. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um,